Welcome to another conversation with My Future Skills, the podcast where I talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talk to Celia Tüllele. Celia is a systemic coach, facilitator, and mindfulness teacher who focuses on optimizing performance, resilience, and regeneration for individuals and teams. Also drawing on her Finnish heritage, Celia's coaching approach acknowledges the interconnectedness of various factors that influence performance and also her well-being. Celia is particularly passionate about working athletes across diverse sports, as well as individuals and teams she refers to as athletes of life, those who aspire to excel in their chosen domains. And because of how she combines strength and calmness for this group of people, I was very curious to talk to her about that unique combination. We talk about calm, strength and play, the importance of little routines rather than aggressive short-termism, and about self-efficacy. We talk about balance and we introduce a head rate in the style of a heart rate, the ups and downs, and the play of those as the definition of balance. I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Celia on strength. Celia, if you're at a party and somebody asks you, what is it that you do all day? What do you answer? Hmm. I guess it would kind of depend on the day. Um, I might say um, what I do for work is to, well, I'm, I declutter bar uh, barriers. I uh, kind of deconstruct blockades. That might be something that I, I could say. Or I also might say I um, hmm, detangle knots. Like problem mm. knots. I detangle problem knots. Yeah. Interesting. I like what you say at the beginning where you declutter barriers because it has something of barriers itself aren't that bad, but sometimes they're not solid enough. They're not in order enough. So sometimes you need to bring order into those barriers and then see what you can do with it. Yeah. Or you might need like kind of a small door to be able to switch the sides or maybe to invite someone in. It's kind of uh, what you do with it. Yeah. Or it might be that you would like to have the barriers on both sides of you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kind of organize it differently. Yeah. I like that. Because I wouldn't say in the common gospel. We talk so much about, yeah, break the barriers down, break the boundaries down. There is no boundaries. There is no barriers. There's no, it's, and I'm like, well, really? First of all, there are always barriers on the way. Like who doesn't see that is naive. Um, and second of all, especially if you talk about boundaries, I like boundaries. Um, I like having mine. I like if others set them. Um, because that shows a certain respect towards oneself. Um, I respect who I am, what I am, and also respect towards the other. Um, I feel safe enough to share them with you and we can agree on a certain level of, of understanding. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so interesting how we, how different kind of perspectives you can have on these barriers. Mm-hmm. And well, um, a main focus of my work are, of course, mental barriers, mental blockades that you have. And um, there sometimes there is also a good reason for them to exist. And uh, so you can actually never say beforehand how the right kind of uh, deconstructing or, or uh, decluttering is going to be. So, yeah. Yeah. You said something, something very important. There is a good reason why they're there. Um, how would you define, quote, a good reason? unquote, for a barrier? Mm-hmm. Well, a good reason would be something that to a given time made sense. It made sense to have this kind of thing, whatever it was at, back at the time. Back at the time, it probably wasn't a barrier. It wasn't a blockade. It was something completely else. It was something uh, one needed to have in order to protect yourself or in order to be able to do something in order to make sense of the world. Um, uh, I mean, there are a thousand, uh, thousand reasons, maybe out of loyalty. Um, I just, just name it. It could be any kind of reason. And in the past, it was a completely, um, it was an important thing to have. But when you evolve, when, when the time changes, when you get to a different place, into a different time, it might be that this thing doesn't make sense anymore. It just kind of starts to get into a barrier, into a blockade. And maybe, I mean, uh, maybe in the beginning it was like, I don't know, a stone somewhere that you you just kind of put in the way and it was something that stabilized you. And then it just kind of starts to build. It just kind of gets to be, uh, yeah, it's just kind of... um, you have more and more of those stones and then one day you can't see to the other side anymore. So it's something that starts to be of, um, yeah, a disservice to you. Although in the beginning, beginning, it was something that was quite important to have. And that might be a possibility for a blo- blockade to, to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a Where's... good reason in the beginning, <laughs> but nowadays it just doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> Where's the the line, I want to say, between a barrier being something good and a barrier becoming a blockage? Um, I actually don't think in lines um, because um, it's... Well, we often think in these black and white constructs, right or wrong, uh, like uh, helpful or, well, helpful and not helpful, that's something different because it's, that's not, not a line anymore for me at least. Um, um, actually, I couldn't say it for a client of, uh, of mine. They, they, they themselves will be able to kind of uh, make this landscape and say what part of this they would probably also like to, uh, like to keep. There might be like part of uh, part of this this blockade that's really something quite helpful, like maybe the first stone or maybe the fifteenth stone if you have like this kind of barrier. And um, so that's something that we work out 
in the process. It's something that we find in the process. How much of this thing they would like to keep, which part of it they would like to transform into something else. So um, I'm sorry, I can't give you <laughs> give you a straight answer to this question. Um, and I like what you said because you like it could be the first stone, it could be the fifteenth, but it could also be that the fifteenth stone just needs to be looked at in a different light, and suddenly it's not a blockage anymore. Um, so the the usefulness of everything that's there in one way or another. Um, I like that aspect of it because we tend to be like, oh no, that doesn't suit me anymore. It has to go and never look at it again and kind of denying that it was there. Um, so actually being there or standing in, in yourself there and saying like, nope, I acknowledge it's there. I acknowledge it has been of use for some time. But now how it is standing there, it isn't of use anymore. So what do I do with it now? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's also, um, I mean, in a, a coaching process, uh, there comes this point sometimes that you just kind of get into this solution. Um, and, um, and sometimes your client is quite uh, fast with it. They're, they're quite speedy and they're just kind of full of, uh, full of this power and uh, will to do all these different kind of things. And then uh, in, uh, sometimes it might be of use for me to kind of get, to, uh, get the process to slow down, like you know, to start to ask questions. Okay, what are the consequences if you um, uh, put these solutions uh, into uh, if, if, if you really do all these things that you're planning, what happens then? Because, um, I, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm a systemic coach, so I'm always thinking, of course, in these systems, in these dynamics. And when you change something uh, in yourselves, in your environment, it, of course, has, um, it will have, a, not, not a cost, but it will have a consequence. Something will happen. And sometimes it makes sense to look at that consequence and just kind of, see is it really something that i want to also have and um well mostly you you are co completely open to it but it's also important to be um to kind of uh look at it to be um clear at that there will be consequences not just for you but also for other people and you can just kind of also deconstruct this solution and um, just also to be able to be quite, to stand behind it, to be quite sure that this is the way I'm going. And I also to be prepared that there will be some changes that you probably at the moment won't see. But if you talk, talk about them, if you uh, see these different kind of perspectives, these consequences that might come, you will also be able to cope with them. The two of us got to know each other through a coaching method would you would you agree i'm not sure if, if a coaching method is the right word but well we got to know each other through that coaching method of uh, theory u in the u lab mm -hmm. um, community and the idea of theory u is to go through long-lasting and significant change you first got to go down to the to the root cause 
and and feel what's there and really feel into the problem um, with an open heart, an open mind, and an open will. Those are kind of the three blocks there, I want to say. Um, and so how I hear you talk about, especially in, in combination with those barriers as well, we're like, okay, we, we got to look at them and they might be of you somewhere else. And, um, I, I was just wondering if the ULAB influenced you there or if basically what you do already aligns very well with the theory you concept. So, so you, what was there first, quote unquote, or how did it um, go together for you? Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm quite sure that theory you influenced me in many ways. Um, it's, um, of course, always when we learn something, something new, when we ex have an experience also with other people, it changes something. Um, but I must say during that process, um, I was actually quite, quite, um, happy, uh, having this you, um, because it kind of brought all those things together that I did and um, gave it a shape, like this uh, new shape. Um, and um, so I had lots of uh, puzzle parts uh, already that I was also using, but this youth uh, form kind of gave it all this, well, it gave, gave, gave it a, like a bigger picture. So um, yeah, it just, um, allowed me to organize those puzzle pieces uh, a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Although I must say, um, I'm not always, when I'm in a co coaching process, I'm not always uh, using the theory you as a, as, as a background background um, and uh, constructs for my work. But it's as, uh, if I start to reflect on it, then I see that there's this you form that you had also in, in coaching also and workshops uh, in different kind of uh, areas that that one works in right and i guess that's kind of like the the job of a coach to break you out of your system so why would we as coaches stick to one system ourselves right it's about like how do you interact with the other person and if the u-shape works and if that is for you a good picture in your head great but if you would follow it step by step it might not necessarily um pay into the process, right? So the, the openness again to, to not sticking too much to one system, but looking into what the client needs and, and what the person on the other end needs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's also this, uh, the bottom of the you, I mean, the, uh, also when you go down and you kind of experience all these states, um, I'm, well, lots of in the systemic coaching is very solution focused focused which is also a great thing because you you kind of jump very quickly um into the solutions um and this was also this theory you um kind of gave me a little bit more well like a solid ground for this that it's also okay to go into the state to the to that thing that isn't so okay and the, the one that the, also the state that might be also hurtful that might be yeah. pay, painful, I mean, and um, that it's also very important to acknowledge this, uh, the pain and 
of course, we tend to be tend to kind of jump out of it as quickly as we uh, as we can. Well, not always. Sometimes it's just kind of fun just to uh, like bathe in the pain. Yes, but um, yeah, you have like different kind of approaches uh, and some things. Uh, uh, sometimes it might be like uh, bathing it in, and then sometimes might be like jumping out of it. But it's um, it's also important to just take it into um, consideration and also to feel it. Um, yeah, just kind of um, not to be not to be too too quick. Also, of course, when you're working in coaching, it is always about solution, it, not solutions. It is about um, uh, getting into action to changing something and that should also stay the f- uh, focus I think I like the picture that uh, theory you uses a lot of uh, a tree right and you just said okay sometimes you can't just jump to the solution you gotta get to the root um, and for me the tree is exactly that expression of that you have what you see, which is the trunk and the leaves, and you have what you don't see, which are the roots, because they're under this. Um, and sometimes when the leaves fall off in the middle of summer, where they're not supposed to fall off, you might be quick to say, okay, what's the problem with the leaves? When in fact, the problem might come from the roots, right? And so it's Again, finding that balance between, okay, when is it really about the leaves? When do I have to deal with, with the output, the outcome? And when do we need to go deeper and actually look at the root cause of something? Because what happens at the roots will then influence how the leaves are dealing. Um, and that's why I like that picture of the tree and what you just said. Like, it's not just jumping to a solution right away. It's actually looking at where does that come from? What's all encompassing? system that influences the outcome mm. yes um and yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, also and at the same time sometimes we kind of get stuck in this where does it come from and when we and we just kind of try to find uh, the root cause of something and just lose um lose the uh, perspective that there's also a solution. There's also this action to be taken. So in this theory, you, um, it's very important also to get back up to right. try uh, to, to start other to other find, find the solutions. And um, yeah, so I, I actually, yeah, I must say this uniform is, it's actually quite brilliant. Yeah. 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 It is a good concept. Um, I, I also have to say, because it's, I liked it because it doesn't focus on just one thing. It takes the whole system. It looks holistically on it. As you said, like, yes, we need to go to the root cause of something, but also we need to get out the other end and see how do we put that into action now? And what do we do with that energy that now that we solved the root problem uh, or the root cause is there again or becomes freed, right? So what do we do with that energy? Uh, Where do we direct it? Um, when I looked at your website, um, you have two words that you use there a lot in a combination that I find very interesting. That's on the one side, strength, and on the other side, calmness, um, which I find interesting because they're not 
often combined, right? So either you need to be calm and you're in the self to do your, your meditation exercises every morning or your go, go, go strength, all out, all adrenaline, all that. But the combination of both to say like, okay, sometimes calmness is the thing that boosts your strength. And sometimes strength might be the thing that actually makes you calm. That the, the combination of those two words, I find very intriguing. Um, how does that fit in your idea of the theory you there? Hmm. Never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I, it's not at the moment. Well, if I think about this form, you, I just at the moment I can't put it together with this, uh, with this ambivalence of calmness and calmness and strength. But I would kind of see it as a this dynamic balance that you need in order to. Um, in order to um, uh, go through the you, um, I mean, as we already talked to, talk today, it's kind of we we have this um, we we are quite often in putting things into black and white, right or wrong, and um, I mean that's not how the life is. We need this dynamic balance in order to to uh, uh, to be active, in order to um, to grow. There's always these things that when you look at them, it seems like it's the one and the other, and it's like an or. It's this or that. Mm -hmm. it, it just ca can't be put together. And also in coaching, it's a lot of, um, of the work is kind of balancing this um, ambivalence, like how to get from this or that into this, this the one as well as the other. And how do you individually balance those two things out? How do you move fluently from one thing, from one state to another? How do you integrate those, those um, parts in your life? And so in this, if I put it in a theory you process, I would see it as this balancing different kind of parts in your life, in your environment, in your own own personal states during this process. And that is that is also what we need. Just um not this something or something, but just kind of integrating them, although they will never integrate into something that's kind of this uh one homogeneous uh mm -hmm. material that won't do. It was going to be this um, balancing of, of different kind of um, a kind of um, whatever they are, if they are perspectives, if they are uh, actions, if they are uh, states, um, yeah. And that's just kind of for me what life also is. It is um, a dynamic balance, and that's also where where I think that well-being grows out of is to be able to move from one state to another, to be able to um, find your strengths in different kind of environments and also with different kind of states that you yourself are in. How did you 
come across that thing or, or, or when did the idea pop up in your head to say like, hey, I take that, I take that and let's see what we can do when we overlap. It's kind of like a Venn diagram where you have strength here, you have calmness here and you put it a bit over each other. As you say, like they're not, they're not the same. They, they don't merge completely. They always have one part that doesn't go with the other, but there's an overlapping potential. So, so how did you come across the idea to say like, okay, let's see what we do, how we can play with that. Mm. Well, I can't remember that there was like this one moment where it just kind of pop, popped and uh, popped uh, into being. And I mean, it has lots of uh, do with my qualifications, with these different kinds of perspectives, how to, um, how to work with, with, the, uh, with people, how to work with different kinds of uh, states they are in. And, um, well, for me, it has lots to do also with sports, <laughs> really. Mm -hmm. And also um, with the work with our nervous system, with the work with our body, with the work of our org organism. Um, uh, since um, when we are in this heightened up state, um, it just it is a state of being where you're very very active. But if it gets to um, um, to this um, this uh, domain or area where you just kind of start to see threats, ways to start to experience threats. I mean, experience a threat, experiencing a threat is also great to get you into action, but it also um, narrows your focus. It narrows your possibilities. It narrows your, the solutions you're able to find. It narrows your creativity. So it is a question how to be in a state also with your nervous system that is like calm and playful at the same time, calm, calm and active, uh, the state of nervous system where you're able to engage with other people, engage also with ideas. And for me, that is um, the state where you combine the calmness and the action. And it, has, it really has something playful um, and not this aggressive strength. Because, I mean, aggressive strength, it gives you lots of... Uh, Power, it gives you lots, lots of possibilities to kind of just go through the things that stand, stand uh, in your way. But it's also something that during, if you stay in that state a long time, it will also harm you. So it's uh, kind of this, um, um, uh, if, if you are able, I would say, if you are able to um, change or, well, not just, uh, um, just uh, acknowledge the state you're in at the moment um, and to see what you need at the moment, then you're also able to do the changes that, you, uh, that, that are, are helpful for you to be able to cope in the, the given situation, in the environment you are in. So it's kind of this um, virtuous um, floating from states to another and it's uh, as I said it's like kind of this dynamic balance and that is something that you need in able uh, uh, to, to be able to be really strong because there will never uh, your life won't consist of um, of situations that are optimal where you can always kind of do your highest performance possible so there will be situations that are quite challenging and 
you, those situations will affect the state you are in and the state you are in will affect those situations and also your performance. So, um, it's about this moving from one state to another and being possibly fluent with it. I know you work a lot with athletes as well. Um, and when you think of how we perceive sports on an athletic level, there's a lot of what you said, that aggressive strength with it. Go through, just, just knuckle through and give everything for the sports, for the success. And that's also the, the perception we have of those athletes. But actually, if you look deeper into that, um, a lot of these athletes don't just work on their, their physical strength. They also work a lot on their mental strength, right? They try to bring that into balance. So there's a difference between what they actually do and how we perceive it on the outside. Um, and tying in what you just said, how it influences their performance, right? If they just knuckle through, they will never be as good as if, like I want to say, mentally they're caught up to their strength there. Um, how is how the right word there? Or is there like a thing from your experience of working with athletes that they naturally have an understanding they naturally have that I don't want to sound too judgmental when I say that other people don't, but I'm thinking of exactly that, how we perceive athletes and what it actually means to be an athlete. Um, not sure where the questioner is, how I, how I can bring that out. Um, mm -hmm. But you got to save to to what I just mentioned. <laughs> what's what's another um, thing that popped into your head while I was just mumbling around finding a question? Well, what popped into my head was, uh, hmm, is there any uh, what would be different? And I thought, well, the thing that m might be different, although I can't, of course, you can't speak for all the people and. It's just kind of, uh, this is like kind of categorizing a lot, but sure. um, um, when you work with people who uh, do some sports uh, or lots of sports, they have this understanding for training and for discipline. And I think that is, and also that you're, you kind of, um, you get better by doing small things over and over again and learning from, from other people. You have trainers, you are, uh, you, um, get the best possible, um, possible, um, I wouldn't call it help, but, uh, just kind of missing the word uh, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Support. Yeah. Uh, you get the best possible support in, uh, to, in order to excel in your chosen domain. And that might be, um, a difference like this understanding of a process that and a training process that you change little things and they will have a huge uh, outcome someday just by doing this very little things and they will lead to a complete um a completely different um, um skill um like a, uh, like a great skill one day 
So that might be something that's different. On the other hand, of course, um, when everything goes well, you don't come to me. I mean, <laughs> if, if you are able to, uh, if, if you can balance all these things out, uh, you'll, you'll probably never come to me, of course, uh, unless you want to work on some little detail to be, uh, to be even, even better with something. But normally um, the people I work with, they have something that's disturbing them. So, and then we start to detangle this. And um, in the process, of course, you uh, do these uh, steps that also bring you to, um, to, the, um, to the direction that you want to go to. Although I must say, um, quite often, one of the um, quite underestimated um, profits of a coaching is quite in the beginning, on also well later on where you just kind of get focused on what you actually want to achieve and i must say that is if it's in sports or in life or any or in your work that's um quite often something quite different than you thought in the beginning it changes because we just kind of start to look into it what is it that you really want this thing for what is it that you really want to change and then you get get a different kind of understanding of your of your goals of of your of the direction you're going into, and that's uh, quite often already quite a great thing. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell a personal story there because, like, when you set up to do a journey like that, and you think you got it all figured out, oh man, are you wrong? <laughs> um, I and I, just a little tiny thing like I, I started doing a thing because it came across my radar and I was like well why not it's called the hero's journal and it's uh, like a three month uh, time span that uh, basically you write a normal journal every day but it, it has a little storyline to it uh, like you know a little game or dungeon and dragon feeling to it and uh, they ask you to formulate the quest that you want to do in those three months. And they ask you to rewrite that every day. Um, and just that little thing of rewriting your quest every day, how I, how that changes over time, just because you, you change a little world, it might not def, uh, necessarily change the whole meaning of the thing, but just because you change a little word every once in a while, you, you get more concise, you get clearer on what it actually is. And suddenly it changes completely, something like that. Um, yeah, that's, Completely right. That that, and it also because because a question that popped into my head when you started talking those those qualities that you see a lot in athletes that that those mindset qualities, learning from others, building a support system, um, focusing not necessarily on the result but on the consistency. Um, well, you want to win the the tournament or whatever, but. You don't get there because you run through a sprint two weeks before the event, right? You got to train consistently and you got to get better bit by bit by bit every day a little bit. Um, and I, so I was wondering, because those qualities also overlap very well with what we think or talk about being good leaders. So I wonder, just by their, their mindset, do athletes... On a general level, I know, again, it's a generalization. 
do athletes make for good leaders? What do you think about that? I would say it depends on what you do with you from your sports. And <laughs> uh, of course, uh, you have, well, that's probably also the reason I like this domain of this area of sports so so well because I see it as a training for life and um, you have like this concentrated uh, area um, where you get to in you get to um, you get in touch with so many um, topics that you of course have in life you have it uh, everywhere and you just can train you can like hone your skills on uh, in this area so of course um Depending on what you take with you, of course, you can uh, develop great leadership skills. Mm. Um, and on the other hand, of course, you can also, um, the things that you take from sports with you might be, uh, might be um, something that's not so helpful for you and might be something that you just kind of get out of, uh, get out of uh, your sports career or However, however you would like to call it, and then you just kind of take with you lots of things that are quite harmful for you. That's also a possibility. So it's, of course, uh, you can learn lots. What would those harmful things be? What, what are you thinking about them? Mm. Mm. Well, um, It has, of course, also to do, well, of, of course, uh, it has also to do with boundaries um, and how do you push, push yourself? Uh, how do you work with, with your body? Um, how, how you also regenerate? Because, I mean, performance also has a lot to do with resilience and regeneration. And um, it's, I mean, uh, there's... Uh, I'm quite sure uh, you, you can't say it's, it's all going to always be true or anything, but um, it's, um, you need the regeneration in order to perform, perform and you need a resilience in order to be perform. And of course, your performance also uh, um, influences your resilience. And um, so these, all these uh, things work together. And if you, don't focus on regeneration. You, I mean, this is also a topic we have in so many different areas in our society. If it's your work, if it's your home, if it's your family, if you don't regenerate, if you don't take care of yourself in the long run, you will probably ruin your health and you will land in depths that it's much more difficult to stand up from than if you would regenerate often enough, if you kind of uh, take care of this balance um, in order to also to perform better. And um, it was also what you said uh, in, in the beginning that we have like this uh, idea of calmness, uh, of maybe also regeneration, and this idea of uh, performance, of, uh, of power, of strength, and how do they fit together. But it's kind of, you need both. And that's also... What sometimes um, I, I personally have difficulties with is like this, we should all be so relaxed uh, and, and, uh, and we should just kind of uh, 
uh, all the time be in this state of uh, of uh, eternal bliss. <laughs> and um, because I also see it's it's important, or I or I think it's important to get into action to change something, and that is also that. Um, makes you, uh, I believe it makes you also happy. It makes you, you have like this uh, self-efficacy. You can change things um, and you can also change things in the world. You can change and change things in your environment. And of course, if you um, plan on being a good leader, it also needs some kind of action uh, and uh, 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 some kind of a need to do things better. So, um, yeah. It ties back to a conversation that I also had uh, on on this podcast, um, a conversation with Sam Curtis, and we talked about rest and how rest is not just physical rest. It's not just sleeping enough. It's not just eating enough, but it's also, for example, emotional rest. It's mental rest. Um, it's it's social Creates. Yes, she, uh, we talked about the concept of the seven types of rest there, um, who are all in itself inter uh, important uh, to look into. So you can't just say, well, but I slept enough. Why am I still feeling so tired? Um, if you're just running and pushing, and it, it, it ties back into your concept of saying, balancing strength with calmness, right? If you're just pushing and running, 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 and if exhausting your body, um, you won't get there because at some point you will literally run into that wall because you're neglecting all the other types. Um, first of all, obviously also the physical rest, but also um, I always wonder about that. Um, those typical manager types, um, especially like old fashioned managers who work 80 to 120 hours per week and then on the weekend run a marathon. Um, and I can see how the running itself is a good balance to the job that you're doing. But at the same time, I also wonder, like, especially from that physical rest, because like running a marathon is hard work for the body, right? Um, and if you, uh, if you're always running in that sense, if you're always hustling, 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 how much of a balance can that actually be? How much of a relaxing factor can that actually be? And well, if you look into it, um, a lot of those people sooner or later, they just crash. They end up in some form of burnout or um, long-term health problems. And that's when they realize, ah, well, I should have taken a Sunday off sometimes and just put the feet up and read a book just for the sake of reading a book, not necessarily the newest management literature, but just a fictional book to, to also take care of our other levels of rest. Um, so again, it's finding that balance and balance in that sense, not meaning like that flat line where everything is in balance all the time, finding the, the balance between the peaks and the lows, right? Doing, doing what you need to do, putting all your energy, all your physical energy in your, in your performance but then also taking the time to regenerate, as you said. Mm. I just had this picture of, uh, of the, um, the heart, your heart rate. It's, I, I read it some, somewhere, I heard it somewhere a little while ago where it was exactly this, like if you have a flat line, well, you're, <laughs> you're dead. You're dead. 
and it's uh, about having these different kind of peaks. And also, I know, um, uh, of course, um, if our heart rate variability is high, if the variation between um, uh, um, between uh, your uh, the peaks is uh, is higher, then you also have um, a better um, well. It's a little bit more com uh, complex than that, but uh, you need this variability. So it needs to change also up and down, but also in the length. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what, what, what makes life, uh, yeah. life, uh, life worth living. Yeah. That's just a flat line. And it goes into bi both directions because, of course, um, often we have, uh, and I must say, I also have lots, a, lot, a lot to do with people who are kind of... Um, driving themselves into exhaustion. Uh, that's uh, mostly the case. I don't have as much to do with people who would be kind of kind of flatlining. Um, but that's also, um, I mean, it's just a different kind of perspective. Um, if you are in, a, um, in this flatline of another um, state, like kind of resignation on or um, um, well, you, you wouldn't call it relaxation anymore. And it's also the uh, question how to get some, some movement into it. I read or I heard that once, and I might be completely wrong, and I'm not a medical uh, person. I have no medical training whatsoever. But I heard that once that the defibrillators that you use to uh, bring a heart back to life, you can't use them when, you had, uh, when your heart's already flatlined. Because what they do is they technically put so much energy uh, into your heart that it stops beating. And it's basically like a reset. So when your heart is already, uh, when your heart already stopped beating, the, a defibrillator won't do anything. You need to do CPR to get the, the heart back up running. But the defibrillator, you use it when your heart is completely off the charts and no rhythm and whatsoever. And you need to actually stop it for a second or, well, maybe not a second, a millisecond, or I don't know how long that takes to actually get it back into a normal rhythm. And I found that very interesting. Also coming to the metaphor in it, right? When you're completely off balance, sometimes you need to take a step back and say, like, okay, reset. And then we start again. Right? Yeah, it's a great metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know <laughs> about medical backgrounds. So, yeah, I also have no idea about that, but yeah. Hmm. And I'd be totally up for a discussion if, if any of the listeners do have a medical background and says that is complete bullshit. Please let me know. But, but I like the, that metaphor of it, right? Uh, to say, no, you got to take a step back. You got to take your rest. You got to set it back to zero before you can then find back into a normal and healthy rhythm. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. I, I I never thought about that. How do I say that? I never thought about the the ping pong play that it basically is between the, the tension and the letting loose. Um, and now that you, again, that you brought it up, that, that thing of like the height variability, you always go high and you go low because when you don't do that, something's wrong, right? And finding the balance 
in uh, finding the balance means not not always running high or always running low. Um, so if you imagine you you're the the mental coach now of a sports club. You're in Germany, so we're obviously going to take a football club. <laughs> um, what would be your first? No, not act. Act is the wrong word. But but what would be the first thing that you would do in your new position? Hmm. In my new uh, new position as a freelancer, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not as not as, not as an uh, employee. <laughs> um, well, my first act would be to talk with the people who are uh, who are um, giving me the contract, uh, who are asking me to do something. Because um, you might think uh, that the things one sports club or one sports human being needs, uh, one athlete needs, would be the same, but it's not the case. And it's always dependent on their situation, on the people they are uh, dealing with, on their whatever there is. So it's uh, that would be always my first step to talk. What is it about? What would you like to change? What would you like to do here? And um, it will lead to completely different um programs, I'm just saying program, it might be that we'll, we'll, we would do a workshop um, focusing on specific topics that are, that are important to them. Uh, it might be more of a team building thing um, and more, uh, well, but like most of my work um, in this area is um, individual coaching. So, because it's, I mean, I just talk about mental coaching and mental coaching is for me, this individual, um, setting where I'm one-on-one -on -one with a client, because then you can really work on the mental concepts, uh, and on the mental strength and on, on the mental, uh, endurance of a people, uh, of, of a person and, um, concentrate on the problems and the solutions. For this one person, of course, always in the concept, con, uh, context of a team, of a system. Also, uh, I must say quite often in context uh, with the family. And, <laughs> and so because, I mean, the pressure comes from different kind of sources. Um, and the work with teams is a different kind of work because that's, that's actually a, um, the more, more systemic kind of work. Uh, also, well, I, I might say. Um, because then you kind of work with the interactions, with the communication and trust uh, with this group of people. So um, with a group, that would be more my focus, how to build trust, how to, um, how to change communication so that they can um, support each other on their chosen path. And that's kind of my focus. And that's a little bit different than it's in one-to-one uh, -one mental coaching um, because it's more like how can they support each other instead of how can I support my one-on-one -on -one client and how can I, um, um, how can we um, 
come uh, come to uh, how how can my my client learn to support him or herself and then how can they learn to um, support themselves in the process so that's a different kind of work um, but yes and uh, those those two things can also be complementary it makes also sense to work with uh uh, with a few people that say, okay, I have this kind of uh, kind of things that I would like to change, and we'll work one on one on those. And the rest of uh, rest of the work might be like uh, a couple of workshops or something uh, something else. But it depends. I like what you said about the the interaction of the system that you're working in, right? Um, or that, like, I mean, when I as an individual come to you and say, like, hey, Celia, help me, I want to. Uh, excel in this particular area of my life, how it's not just about me, how it's also about the system that I'm interacting, for example, family, for example, also a team, if you, if you take the example from the football club. So it's not just an individual effort. It's literally a team effort to get there. Uh, coming back to the support that you said at the beginning, the support system that, uh, that carries you there. Um, it, it does come back or it, it ties in the idea a bit of uh, one and one is three, right? Um, you don't just, well, you can get there alone, but it will probably take you more effort than it would if you take somebody else and who compliments you and who, who supports you and who carries you. Um, coming back to the football team, because football is a team sport. Yet, if you're looking to the fan side of it, we tend to put those hero players up, right? Be it, I don't know, Messi or um, all those, those great football players who shoot all the goals and who are the heroes of the fans. When in fact, they couldn't act alone on the field. They wouldn't shoot all the goals. They wouldn't win all the games if the supporting team weren't around them. Uh, so it is a team effort. It is about how, how you interact in a whole system. Although it might be, you might be attributed the successes, but the success is not yours alone. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's also quite um, interesting if you start to analyze teams that are doing really well. I mean, if it's work, uh, work context or um, any f functional families or <laughs> whatever teams or in, in sports, um, it's really interesting how the dynamics are, how the interactions are and um, how they kind of... Uh, um, how they build into these uh, things together, uh, how they build build something together. So yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, even, but it, it's basically quite human. Not a single one of us would ever survive alone. I mean, it's just, <laughs> yes, it's not possible. And we just tend to tend to forget it uh, because we, uh, we have this, uh, sometimes this quite individual focus that you can just kind of it's uh, the things you do it it's um, yeah you do them alone and uh, of course because we also tend to idealize uh, specific persons and their uh, their um, and what they have uh, ma managed uh, and achieved in life and 
which they of course have achieved in life, but it's also you always have dif- uh, not, uh, different people surrounding the, uh, the, uh, yourself. You always have this net network of, um, you have this society, you have this community. So um, yeah, no one, of not a single one of us would make it alone. Yeah. Yeah, you tie back an interesting thing that I experience a lot in the tech world as well, where you have that that hero entrepreneur who's that genius and who does who created all those things, or who's attributed attributed the creation of that one thing. And yeah, they are genius. Yeah, they have great ideas. Yeah, the one with the vision. I I don't want to downshift that or or minimize that effort that it takes to come up with those. Um. But again, they're not the one coding it, for example, right? They, if it comes down to it, they don't even know how to code and have never written a line of code in there. So, so how that product came into the world might be their idea, but not their creation, so to speak. Um, again, not downplaying those. Both of those things are important. But I also think we have to find that balance in uh, how we talk about that stuff, how we talk about mm-hmm. the individual effort in it. Um, I mean, think about thinking, <laughs> like ideas. That's also something. Uh, I mean, um, often with we think that thinking. Okay, this can sounds kind of uh, funny, but that thinking is something that happens in our heads, like in this closed up space. But in reality, I mean, the ideas you get ideas when you might see something, like in the nature. So you're actually thinking with the nature, you're kind of being in, um, the ideas come out of this uh, interaction with the nature, or you had maybe a conversation with someone like on a, uh, um, uh, over a coffee, and maybe you didn't even uh, talk about this specific topic, but you had an idea. So that, so these ideas kind of, they don't, um, they don't grow just all alone in this closed up space of our heads, but they are also, they, uh, they um, um, come from this interaction with, if it's other people or if it's just, uh, if it's a nature, if, it, if it's some, something that you read about and all these things build together into your ideas. So um, you can't really close it up into this uh, pantry of your head uh, and say this is where the ideas um, ideas start and this is where the ideas grow but it's um, it's really like this um, um, quite um, interactive construct maybe you can translate the concept that we just talked about with the heart with the variability with the spikes and the lows maybe we can translate that to to the head um we need the inspiration, a lot of it, the input being bombarded with it, and we need the time to process it and put it into context, into our own context, into our own boxes that we have in our heads. And from that interaction comes the idea, TM, um, comes the, the spoke. Because we know that if we're always bombarded with things, we're suffering information overload and we can't process any of those. If we don't get enough stimulation, that's also not good for us. Um, if, we, if we would just live in a cave by our, by our own, we would degenerate. 
Um, so again, it is that interaction with others in change or, or changing with taking the time to process it and put it into, into our own context, which actually creates the idea. So maybe there, there's a head raid, hard raid and head raid. <laughs> love the analogy. <laughs> and again, if one is missing or, although I would, what would be the balance in that? Because we say when, with, with the hide, we really go into the positive area and we go into the negative area. And if it's on a zero, we flatline with that. So I want to know what would be the flatlining of the head. What would that be? Well, we can come up with that at some point. We'll just let that simmer and... Um, Hmm. We'll see. Or maybe the analogy doesn't work 100%. <laughs> well, they're not meant to 100%. No. Uh, I mean, uh, they just uh, get in to, uh, to, uh, you to a uh, different kind of thoughts. And that's, yeah. uh, that's, uh, that's also a great achievement. Hmm. I had an idea. <laughs> I got so many questions that I still want to go through with you, um, but I can also see us talking for another hour, which is, well, now I'm going to put a dent in here because I also think we, we have a good natural circle here, um, which I like. I, I like when it comes, when we go full circle once and then we could go off into another one or we couldn't, as I would say, for now, for today in this setting. Uh, I think we we talked about so many interesting things, and I I I got to digest them. My brain got to digest them. Um, I now reached the peak information peak, and now I gotta go into rest and uh, let that simmer, and see what ideas come out of it. <laughs> so sounds great. For now, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for sharing and talking to me about all that. Um, if people now want to have an equally interesting conversation with you uh, or even want to work on their athlete mindset, <laughs> how can they reach out to you? Um, yes. Well, uh, of course, I have my uh, website, which is um, uh, my first name, Celia, and the first, uh, uh, first two letters of my, of my family name, which is Dulila. So it's just uh, Du. <laughs> Uh, dot com and then I also have my podcast which is also called uh, Kraftvolle Gelassenheit und Achtsamer Fokus so it's in German and um, so that might be the first uh, uh, first places to look for me so podcast for hearing me talk German <laughs> and website to contact me I'm going to put bread of those in the show notes so uh, whoever speaks German or wants to train their German um should check that out and uh, your website will be available there as well. Great. Cool. I'm so happy we did that. Uh, yeah. I can, maybe I can tell Thank the story. I, yes. I reached out to Sinjerkes 
you might have heard from her last name. She is actually Finnish. And I reached out to her and was like, hey, do you want to do an episode about happiness? Because you've been awarded the happiest people in the world once again. And she was like, well, yeah, we could. But actually, there's another topic that I would not have uh, connected you with at all, I have to say. I have to admit that. But now that we've did that, or, or now that you brought that up, I was like, oh, yeah, that would be great. And I'm really happy that we did that and that you brought that up and that we went into this area um, rather than happiness. We'll keep that for another conversation with my future skills later on. Thank you very much. Thanks, great. Thank you, Saskia. So then, uh, wish you a great rest of the day and we'll talk soon. Bye. Yes, talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for being a part of this conversation with my future skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. Hear you next time.